Hello and welcome to this kind of like added series through the Fearlessly Failing podcast. Um, I can't take credit for this. This is actually Bosso's idea to come up with a six-part meditation series or technically a five-part, but we've turned this introduction into part of the series. So it's called Mindfulness Fridays and I'm so pumped to be doing it with my dear friend, Jad Patrick. Hello, Jad. Hi, Lola. Thanks for having me on the show. So just for people that don't know about you and I, we've lived on the same street for how many years? Not now, but was kids. Back in the day. Well, I was, I think, 16 when we moved from Albert Park. And Jad's older than me. So <laughs> <laughs> we tease each other about this. So um, I, would, I think for all of my primary school years. Yeah, so at least six years or something we would have lived down there. Road from one, and you were probably friends with my sister for a couple of years. Hayley, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Um, so, just if you want to listen to anything to do with Jad, because Jad is an incredible human. He is a naturopath. He is a nutritionist. He is a counsellor. You're very passionate about mindful self compassion meditation. Is that correct? Correct. That yeah. is a mouthful, my friend. Isn't it? Well, it's MSC for short, but then no one knows what that means. So MSC. You have to do that. Well, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you want to know more about Jad, he is in Series 1, Episode 6, and Series 3, Episode 5, which just came out technically today, but this episode will come out next Friday, um, where you did a live mindful kind of like exercise. Yeah, an exercise in sort of understanding how we respond to other people's suffering versus how we respond to our own suffering. And it sort of it kind of tricks you into realising often there's quite a big disparity between how we treat ourselves versus how we treat others who are totally. running into difficulty. Yeah. Totally, totally. And, yeah, and we've kind of like, and I've got notes about this to ask you in other episodes about like that inner self-critic and stuff mm. like that. Um, so this introduction for, is for people that are like, uh, meditation, I've heard about it, I've tried an app every now and then, it hasn't really worked for me, is it Om Shanti, Shanti, like what is it? Is it, you know, peace, love and mung beans? Is it about having... You know, I remember I met someone and he was like, I'm so good at meditating, I just shut my eyes and see black. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> really, mate? And and what I'm getting at is that there are you, so many you, messages out there. You can't really be good or bad at meditating is, is another way of cool. perhaps pointing it out. If you've, if you've committed to doing it and you notice what you're doing, you, you're already, I guess, doing it sort of correctly. It's, it's yeah. And one thing and that I'm excited to explore with you and I think we will through this series, like there's no, like I'm trained in TM, is it trans? Transcendental meditation. Correct, mm. and I don't practice it. Mm. But every now and then after yoga I'll go back to the mantra they've mm. set for me. Mm. And so I think it's about freeing up the um, rigidness of like you must meditate this many minutes a day and it just becomes it almost puts stress yeah. into something that's meant to de-stress you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we caught up earlier this week and I was like, oh, for the intro I kind of want to debunk a bit of stuff about meditation. And you said straight away, you were like, well, people think it's all about having a clear mind mm. when really it's not about having a clear mind, it's about becoming an observer. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that's sort of one one way of kind of phrasing it or looking at it, I think, you know, one of the number one myths I encounter when people talk to me about meditation is, oh, I can't meditate, I just have so many thoughts running around my head and I, I just can't clear my head and it's just it's just not for me. And I'm like, well, guess what? Everybody has a wandering mind. Everybody has thoughts that pop into, the, into their head continuously. 
even the most advanced meditators will tell you, or the most experienced meditators rather, will tell you that thoughts will pop into their head quite frequently. You know, even people who have gone and lived in a cave for a year in the Himalayas will tell you, yep, your mind will constantly be throwing up language, images, your body will come across sensations, emotions, all of those things come up during meditation. And the, I guess the goal for want of a better word with meditation is not so much to get rid of those things. We can't get rid of those things. Mm. They're beyond our control. They're coming up from, you know, the backs of our minds. The goal is to to notice that they arise, to not get hooked by them, to not get sort of carried away with that storyline that the mind presents you with, to notice it as a phenomena of the mind that you are not your thoughts, you're more than just your thoughts, you're also aware of your thoughts, and to refocus your mind on whatever the chosen object of your meditation is. So I'll explain that. So generally speaking, in a focused meditation, you'll be picking something to um, focus your awareness on. So it might be uh, the physical sensation of breathing, the breath coming in and out of the body. It might be a mantra or a repeated phrase, like a loving kindness phrase or a word that means something to you. I did an awareness one just last week and we did it where we focused on the different senses of the body. That's another one, yeah. Which I loved because you know I, you know a lot about me and that is I have the wandering mind but also a bit of an OCD kind of mind. Mm. And so I found that when I was able to focus on sound, like even now I was just like, oh, we can hear an aeroplane going over the, you know, over yeah. the top of us. And um, when I was doing it I was like I can hear a tram, I can hear other people around me, I can mm. hear other people in the next room and I could hear a fan that was further away and then one that was closer. And that really worked for me. It felt like this quite active kind of awareness style mm. of a meditation. Mm. Is that kind of, is that a meditation? That can be a meditation. So it's, it's, it's the deliberate focusing of attention that makes mm. it sort of, and, but with, with an openness to the rest of your experience that's happening in that time, you're not resisting what other things come up. So you're not trying to push those thoughts away that might pop up as you, as you hear a sound go by. You're trying to sort of as objectively as possible, just notice that sound as it is and not try to interpret it, label it. And then go into a story about what that's about. Um, so that that sort of example of focus meditation, it could be a body scan, like you said. It might be particularly good for people with have maybe have a background with some trauma in their life. Often focusing on inner sensations can be quite triggering for them uh. because they've they've learned from their life experience. I need to be aware of what's going on around me, or I could be under threat. So when they turn to inner sensations, the mind's like, hang on a second, I need to be on the alert for danger. Mm. And so it will either start interpreting inner sensations like a heartbeat as being yeah. a problem. <gasps> My heart's beating too fast. Am I having a heart attack or is it a panic attack or what is it? And our mind starts telling stories straight away about the sensation. So for some people, focusing on external sensations can initially be a good um uh, thing to focus on. Yeah, that's so The key smart. is bringing your mind back to that point of focus. So, totally. so if you're staying with sounds, you just stay with sounds. Yeah. As physical sensations come up, oh, I notice that I'm itchy. I'll return my awareness back to sounds. So fascinating. You know how you're saying the mind is always going to throw up something mm. like, oh, what am I going to have for breakfast? Have I had my second coffee yet? Like all mm. these like random, I don't know how many thoughts we have in a day. I imagine it's 
thousands upon thousands. thousands yeah. And um, is that, are those thoughts, are they from the conscious mind or are they subconscious stuff? Uh, the Well, yeah, conscious of them. So I guess that'd be from the conscious mind. I and mean, when we talk about unconscious mind and conscious mind, they're kind of theoretical kind of constructs okay. as opposed to something that we can Specific. concretely sort of discuss, okay. uh, discuss. But I guess in talking about the concept of meditation, we then need to talk about mindfulness and the difference between mindfulness and meditation. But more specifically, what, what is mindfulness? I think it's helpful to talk about what it isn't. So mm. mindlessness would be the opposite of mindfulness. And I often, in the talks I give, I sort of talk to people about how many times have you driven somewhere and arrived at your de- destination and just realised, oh, I, I didn't notice a single thing the whole way here. My yeah. mind was wandering off thinking about chores I need to do or things I need to attend or, or whatever, and you've missed the passing mm. of all these houses and traffic, mm. et cetera. And that's an example of the the wandering mind. And our mind sort of operates a lot of the time on um, autopilot. Mm. So why does our mind do this? So and and how often does it sort yeah. of do this? So probably more than we realise. Yeah, it's quite it's quite a lot. So when fMRI studies were available, what's fMRI? Functional magnetic resonance imaging. So scans of the brain as the brain's being yeah. active, rather than. Um, you know, uh, cutting bits open and looking at it. Yeah. And um, researchers wanted to look at what happened when the mind was completely at rest, so doing nothing. So they got people to lay in an fMRI bed and told them, just think about nothing, just think about nothing. And, of course, what happens when you're told to think about nothing? Boom, the mind becomes incredibly active. The pink elephant in the room. Exactly, exactly. And we'll we'll come back to pink elephants and polar bears. (laughs) so the part of the brain that kicks into gear when our minds sort of got nothing to do is called the default mode network. Mm-hmm. And the default mode network, it's evolved to look for problems and threats, so scan the environment for difficulties and problems, um, explore solutions, so it's a creative part of the mind yeah, too. Yeah. Um, and it also creates our sense of self because it reflects on the past and it predicts the future. So it looks at past experience and future probabilities mm. and how they're kind of linked together, but with a specific aim of looking for problems. Um, but because our mind's main sort of priority is survival and yeah. not happiness, yeah. um, the default mode network tends to focus exclusively almost on problems, concerns and so threats. negative stuff. Negative stuff in inverted yeah. commas, both real and imagined. Um, and this can lead to excessive worrying, rumination, anxiety, intrusive thoughts, obsessive thoughts, etc. And we've all had that experience of our mind just kind of wandering onto really well, negative like, sort of spaces. Even when you meet someone or talk to someone that you look up to, right, and you like have this conversation and you, and you kind of like your mind kind of like, sorry to swear, but it kind of like fucks you a bit and you say mm. something you don't want to say or you feel like really awkward or nervous or anxious and then you go home and literally for the next day I'll be like, why'd I say that? Why'd, why'd I? Yeah. And that person has thought nothing other than, oh, it was nice to meet Lola or whatever. That, But you have created, your mind has created this whole ecosystem around this one experience in a negative or like you said in inverted commas, but like, and I'll ruminate and go over and over and like, what if I didn't say that? What if I did say that? What if I, people that will know will know this feeling if you run to an ex-boyfriend or an ex-partner and you're mm. like, why didn't I say X, Y, Z? Why yes. was I so nice? Why was I accommodating? Yeah. Or why was I the opposite? Like we, it's almost like we don't and, and that's where it feels a bit mindlessness because this other part of the brain or this other mechanism kind of takes over 
and then you obsess over everything that's happened for for the next day or two. That's where one thing about um, dating Bosso was so powerful because you've got someone that one is working on themselves mentally as well. That's mm-hmm. like, hey, I can see what's going on here. Just so you, and he'll just go. So just so you know, you've done nothing wrong. Let it go right now, and I can get over stuff like within a minute or two mm-hmm. as a result of kind of catching those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you've done a lot of self-work as well in learning how to recognise, oh, it's a thought going on. I don't necessarily need to listen to that thought right now. It's not necessarily yeah. useful right now to be dwelling on this problem. So um, it's so why has this part of the brain, why is it there? Yeah. If it causes us so many problems and yeah. causes us to worry unnecessarily, well, in our ancestral past, yeah. in you know, like when primal. we were sort of, yeah, exactly, when we were hunter-gatherers living in bands of, you know, 100 or so individuals on the savannah, it was really important to be on the lookout for threat because life was precarious. There could be, you know, a lion around the corner, there could be a marauding tribes person from, a, you know, a, a, an enemy tribe, there could be danger up ahead, dangerous totally. weather coming up ahead. So it was really important to be on the lookout for threat. And one of those threats also was being alone, being isolated. Of course. Humans lived in groups and the group protected one another. Do you know what I learned about humans and groups just this week? Because this class I do at acting school is all about human behaviour. We are, as a species love groups of about 150. Yes, yes. And it matches <gasps> the average average kind of size of a hunter-gatherer band is around 100 to 150 really? individuals. And, you know, during their whole lifespan, that, that's all the people that they know that they know very intimately. So coming across a stranger was very intimidating for a person in, a, in those sorts of times. So staying, Being alone is scary, basically. Being alone is scary. So staying in the group is really, really important. Yeah. So our mind is constantly evaluating not just external threats but also, oh, I better not do anything wrong to upset the tribe or I might get kicked out yeah. and that is life-threatening. Totally. Now, in our modern-day lifestyle, if, you know, if, if the random person at the coffee shop thinks you're an idiot, that's no big deal. But our brain can still dwell on it thinking, oh, my God, if that person at the coffee shop kicks me out of the group, I could yeah. be eaten by a lion. So it feels life-threatening. And we all know those examples, oh. of, especially in our teenage years. And the interesting thing was, you know, sort of um, just pre-adolescent years, early sort of teenage yeah. years, we weren't being looked after by our parents so much when we were in this yeah. hunter-gatherer context. We were going off and doing things more on our own. So that's when that part of the brain really kicks in, where the inner critic comes in uh, yeah. to stop us from doing anything that's going to get us kicked out of the group. Wow. Now, that was important for our survival, but not so great for our happiness because it means we're constantly evaluating, oh, am I doing the right thing yeah. by, the, by the group sort of standards? So it's so fascinating, isn't it's it? It's really fascinating. And it also it also leads to a bit of forgiveness as well. We can look at our minds and be just like, oh wow, my mind was actually brilliantly adapted to a Protect time long me. ago. Yeah. But sometimes it's 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 not a useful program for today's kind of lifestyle. So when you are stuck in that yeah. and caring about like what people think of you or not wanting to upset the the flow of things or the group or something and then you come back to like you listen to a podcast like this fearlessly failing where people where I'm like do you mm. like own who you are be vulnerable use mm. that to your advantage and don't be afraid to upset the group like that almost completely goes against our whole mechanism of our brain to survive and to protect ourselves so how do you overcome that kind of like inner critic yeah, that's that's a big question it's huge. and a huge question, and we'll unpack that I think yeah. over the next few episodes. Totally. Um, um, hopefully, Definitely. anyway, we'll attempt Definitely. to. <laughs> um, but I think one of the strategies you can use to do that is this default mode network. 
It's not on board all the time. So there's times where we can be really focused on the tasks that we're doing and immersed in what we're doing and less distracted by these worrying kind of thoughts. And we know from studies that meditation practice, mindfulness meditation practice, switch sort of turns down the volume on the default mode network. Got it. And whilst we're meditating, mm-hmm. then if we regularly practice meditation, that we can switch off the default mode network more readily even when we're not meditating. So oh, we're able to change great. gears. We like can we can in. be in problem-solving mode when it's useful. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, sometimes it's useful to think about what I said in that meeting because yeah. maybe you do need to go back and apologise or maybe you do need to restructure the way you word things for the next meeting. But other times we know, and we all know when it's just going around and around in our head and we're just like, oh, I just want my mind to shut up for a moment. Practising mindfulness meditation teaches us how to let go of those thoughts or or get unhooked from them so they don't become like the centre point in our the focus. Driving And we can shift gears and refocus on what's important to us, what's valuable to us. Because I can say as like a a business owner, and I'm sure I come under the umbrella of being an entrepreneur, um, if I lived from the space of consistently protecting myself and um, kind of being on the more the worry front foot, like in that kind of like I don't want to ruffle, I wouldn't be successful. And I'm not saying I'm mega successful or anything, but one thing I've learned interviewing people on this series is most people take the risk when no one else believes in them but themselves. Like yes. they're able to kind of like acknowledge the worrying and, and, and really be like that's not serving me to get to where I need to get to. Spot on, spot on. You kind of almost summarised ACT therapy, which is one of the therapies I'm sort of trained in. What does that stand for? Acceptance and commitment therapy. So one of the things we need to do is notice the thought. One of the questions I often ask myself is, doesn't matter whether the thought's true or not, mm. is it useful for me right now? Is the thought useful for me right now? And if the thought's yeah. not useful, let's see if we can just kind of let it be there in the background of our mind. Let's just sort of put it to the side and focus on mm. what's important to us. And I always say to myself, big picture, mm. is this is this experience going to be affecting you in a year's time? Yeah. And that's a real quick one for me to get out of my, and I can change that like mouse running on the, like going over and over things by going, in a year's time, this won't matter. Yeah. And it's a really great way of doing things that scare you because in the big picture, it's just nothing more than a growth exercise. It's just a blip. Yeah, and, mm. and when you learn from from the blip so mm. much. Mm. So for people listening, again, that aren't active, med- and I probably fall into the category of not being, I don't have a consistent uh, meditation practice at the moment, but obviously I'm going to be soaking up this series with you and I'm so excited to be a participant as well. What are the benefits of meditation, mindful meditation, um yeah, what are the benefits of and because I know you also run like eight week workshops in this. So Yeah. What what do you see from people that walk in the door at the beginning versus the end of uh eight because we're end doing of the eight weeks. Well, we're technically kind of doing a, a six week kind of program yeah. ineffectively here. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, in terms of what I see in the groups that I run, mm-hmm. some of the specific things would be people because it's mindfulness and self-compassion, so it's learning how to relate to our own suffering with the same kindness we would towards a dear friend or loved one. Um, One of the big things is less self-criticism, greater sort of peace of mind, um, better commitment to goals and values. So that bit's cool. Sorry mm -hmm. to cut you off. But, you know, when you think mindful self-compassion, you touched on this with a live thing, it's almost like we think, oh, I'm going to let myself off the hook. Yeah, yeah. 
but you're saying it actually makes you more committed and more determined. To yeah, dogs. so the research on self-compassion training shows that people who are more self-compassionate are actually more inclined to stick to their goals in the long term and to engage in healthier habits because they want what's best for themselves mm. in the long term, not just a short-term sort of fix. So it's not sort of about avoiding discomfort. It's about holding oneself um, with care and kindness in the mm. face of life's inevitable ups and downs. So that's sort of, I guess, relating more to the self-compassion aspect of the course. In terms of mindfulness practice in general or meditation mm. practice in general, and we can maybe sort of define what those two things are in a second as well. Definitely. But, that was um, my next question. Some of the research would be better sleep, um, less impacted by stress, so less reactive. Mm -hmm. um, less reactive and more responsive. So I like to sort of talk about a, a quote... Um, if I can remember it off the top of my head, I might just bring up my notes. <laughs> I love it. He's, he's sounding really like smooth here. He's got laptop notes in front of me. I'm not going to lie. I've got my little handwritten notes in front of me too. Just I'm going to touch on one thing while you're finding that. Yeah, sure. Um, for the listeners, we are going to record this series in, in – um, an order, but you don't have to listen to it in order. So if you say we're doing one on stress and anxiety, say that really resonates with you, you can come back and revisit that meditation as many times as yeah. you want. You, it's not like you're like, I have to do one, two, three, four, five, six in order that we um, release them online. You can totally be like, oh no, like for me, I'm really into like body image and I, I and, and learning about how to manage that. Um, so I might go in, that might become my daily meditation mm. for a month or two, like who knows. So mm. just so just to listeners, you're your own master. You can decide this is this is your our gift to you. This is your meditation practice, your mindful practice. Make this work for you. I've found that really liberating. Yeah. I think one yeah. of the things I say to people when they're starting to explore the concept of mindfulness and meditation is to just be really curious. Be curious about every aspect of your experience. Notice it with fresh eyes as if you've never encountered that before. So if you're experiencing difficulty when you're meditating, seeing if you can notice that too. Explore. What, how do I know that this is difficult? What, what's going on in my body, my mind, my thoughts, my feeling sensations that say this is difficult or this is bad or this is negative? Like where does that label even come from? Because that label comes with a whole bunch a story attached to it but the objective experience of something being difficult is quite different when you break it down into the nuts and bolts of what we what that experience is you found so his quote found, by I the found way. the quote <laughs> should be at the like tip of my tongue I've said it so many times but it, it's sort of an informal definition for me of what mindfulness is about or, or the broader possibilities that mindfulness opens in my life and, and people's lives so between stimulus and response there is a space in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and freedom. Uh. And if we unpack that, it's basically saying things happen and we have these automatic reactions. If we can increase the time between what happens and our automatic reaction, we increase the time where we can make a choice about mm. how we respond. And then we can make choices that line up with what's really important to us. So it's about breaking default habits and programming. Oh, so it's so a good cool. sort of um, informal definition of um, mindfulness. One of the more formal definitions is um, by Kabat-Zinn, who's a founder of Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction, which is a very evidence-based program for stress reduction that uses mm -hmm. mindfulness. 
And he says, mindfulness is awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And often he adds to that, and in the service of self-understanding and wisdom. So mindfulness is intentional. We're not just kind of paying attention for no reason. Mm. We're sort of like we're trying to get something out of this, some self-understanding, some wisdom, some patience. Um, It's deliberate. We're paying attention on purpose as opposed to when we're just immersed in a task because we're carried away with the flow of it, which is also, you know, a great aspect of being Mm -hmm. alive. Um, And non-judgmentally. So we're being open to whatever comes up in our experience. Mm. It's not just about feeling relaxed. It's not clearing the mind of thoughts. It's noticing what arises. So you can be mindful in any aspect of day-to-day life. Anytime you can notice what you're doing and notice the fact that you're noticing mm. is is doing it mindfully. Very cool. Mindfulness meditation is a more structured sitting down or lying down and paying attention to something on purpose for, say, a, a specific duration of time. Um, and normally it's a focused kind of approach. So focusing on the breath, focusing on a mantra, focus on body, body sensations, or focusing on noticing the the, ari- um, the arising of thoughts in mm-hmm. the mind. And that space between one thought and the next thought popping up is is a really amazing space to inhabit because you're suddenly confronted with the fact that oh, I'm not my thoughts. I'm mm. a person aware of having thoughts as well, and that, and that can be quite disconcerting mm. as well at first when you when you start to notice that. But there's a huge amount of power and potential in that experience as well. Ah, oh, so good. Is there anything else you want to touch on for this intro before we kind of add the meditation to this episode? I could really quickly run through some of the other benefits because I think we should have touched on a couple. Please, yeah, please, please. Um, but I think um, listeners might sort of like to know, oh, what is, okay, less reactive, that's good. I'm not that reactive a person. But what else? Better emotional regulation. Oh, bring um, it on. Higher brain functioning. I think we all could want a bit of that. Improved immune function. So Why we is that know that stress. Yeah, so um, regular meditation practice helps to lower cortisol, which is a stress hormone, and cortisol suppresses in a way the immune system. Mm-hmm. So we've they've found that that um, by doing that, we we have better immune response. Um, lowers our heart rate and blood pressure, which is good for anyone with cardiovascular issues. Increases our powers of focus and attention. There's a lot of research on people with ADHD. If they meditate regularly, they're able to pay more attention in day to day life. Um, lowered stress levels. Now, this happens with regular practice. It might not happen in the moment when mm-hmm. you're practicing meditation, so that's a bit of a misconception that, you know, I'll feel relaxed afterwards or if I don't feel relaxed afterwards, ah. I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, in certain tailored um, meditation interventions like mindful self-compassion and MICBT can actually reduce the risk of depression relapse. Better academic, academic achievement has been found. Yeah. Um, decrease work-related burnout. Um, literally you can change the brain within eight weeks of regular practice. So there's thickening in the cortex, which is our sort of reasoning part of the brain, more grey matter in the brain, and it shrinks the amygdala, which is the fight-flight centre of the brain, so it becomes less reactive. Hence we're in that less less of a survival mode. Less of a survival mode and more of a mode of I've got enough and it's safe. And the cortex is that front bit where we make... A lot of choices. Yeah, and a lot of critical thinking and rational thinking comes there. Um, Increased density in the hippocampus, which regulates emotion, but also is involved in memory and learning. Mm. And this is the one I thought you might like, Lola. (laughs) It reduces shortening of the telomeres in our DNA. What the fuck does that mean? It essentially slows down the aging process in our DNA. (laughs) Yes, I'm all ears. (laughs) So... 
15 minutes of daily meditation helps with telomerase production. In fact, in one study, um, anything that sort of triggered the relaxation response can do that. So yoga and prayer and things like that can help as well. And another study found that Zen meditators who meditate a lot, (laughs) a lot more than I do for sure, have 10% longer telomeres than people of a similar age. So basically at the genetic level that they're slowing down their ageing process, which has implications. I mean, we sort of think of that in the kind of aesthetic superficial way of like, oh, yeah, I get to look younger if I meditate regularly. But you're also slowing down some of the accumulated damage that's occurring in the body. Mm. Um, Jad looks very young, by the way. It's quite annoying. (laughs) So do you for your age as well. So... Well, no I've been I've been taking so this is why Jad was like I know you'll like this. I'll literally rock on in to um Paran Health Food and I'll be like, right. So I've got my collagen, I've got my vitamin C. Um, what else can I be taking for anti aging? I'm also doing like an eight step skin program every day. I'm exfoliating every second day. Like, it, and Jad's like, whoa, Nelly, chill. They're like, pull up the handbrake, and um. Yeah, so that excites me a lot. Just one last question I have. Um, in the ideal world, how long should we be meditating and how often should we be meditating? Yeah, it's, that's a really, really good question. So to get some of these researched health benefits and psychological mm-hmm. benefits, the research, the research shows 20 minutes four times per week. 20 minutes, four times per week. So That's 20 f- minute stints? As 20 minute stints, minute stints, yeah. Now, there's not a lot of research showing if you can split that up into 10 minutes morning, 10 minutes evening. More seems to be better. So more experienced meditators who meditate very regularly do seem to see more of these benefits. But 20 minutes, four days per week, eight weeks has been found to increase a lot of these sorts of benefits. So most of the evidence-based programs you'll find will go for eight weeks. Anything shorter than that will be an interesting introduction, but you won't see measurable changes. Mm -hmm. And most of those courses will emphasise at least 20 minutes of practice daily, which in the real world normally turns into about three to four days per week. But any amount of meditation is good. Start where you're at. Start with what's achievable. Tap it onto something you're already doing every day. If you brush your teeth every morning... When you put down your toothbrush, sit down even just for a minute and focus on the yeah. breath. And, and we'll talk about in the, the intro meditation mm-hmm. how to meditate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I promise you, if you do it regularly enough, you'll see some really amazing benefits in your day-to-day life. So can I ask a personal question? Yeah. How often and how do you meditate? I knew you would ask that question. <laughs> and my classes always ask me as well. And this little inner critic in me tells me that you need to meditate more and you're... <laughs> And, and sometimes I listen to the inner critic and sometimes I stick my finger up at it. <laughs> um, I would probably meditate three days per week where I sit down properly, as in like 20 focus. minutes. Yeah. The benefits of the self-compassion course for me though came much more from the informal practices of learning in the moment-to-moment day, daily sort of activities, how am I relating to myself, how am I relating to my thoughts, What's my inner critic up to? Can I bring on board another inner compassionate voice that wants what's best for me? How do I sort of notice and stay with emotions in the day-to-day? So I sort of try to bring mindfulness very much into my day-to-day life and there's a lot of things I will deliberately do with focused 
attention and, and a sort of compassionate intention. Um, and most nights when I'm drifting off to sleep, I'll be listening to a meditation, but that's kind of cheating because I'm really sort of doing it to get to sleep as opposed to harness my powers of awareness, concentration and compassion. So, I'm a bit cheaty like that too. Like if I can't get to sleep, I'll either go back to my mantra I learned years ago in TM or I'll box breathe. You know, you do uh, yep. inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four. And I get like three rounds in and I'm like, oh, fuck, this is exhausting, but it makes full sleep. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> you're taking your attention, I'm presuming, off the rumination. Yeah, and that, yeah. And, that, and that sort of can be a big part of it, is sort of letting the rumination be and choosing to focus on something else. And, and sometimes that drops the rumination off and that's all well and good and we can nod off to sleep. But it's, we've got to be careful not to use these strategies as a way of fighting um, our inner experience. We've got to kind of make friends with our inner experience. Yeah. But that, that's a lot to unpack. That's where you need to do a course or, or see a teacher to really understand the difference. And I, I will just touch on this because I'm so passionate about it, but both you and I are big believers in this and I think that in order to, I think that it's so, and this, part, this course that we're running here is about mindfulness and meditation, but the whole reason why I have opened up so much to it is, yes, definitely having you in my life, but also I have a therapist and Mm. we try different forms of meditation. We try hypnotherapy. We did a guided meditation last week. We we also did a visualisation technique and after, right at the end of the session, he's like, can you see what I'm doing for you? And I was like, what? And he goes, you get to make up your own meditation. I'm giving you the tools Mm. so you can figure out what works for you. And build something that works for you. And, mm. and, but that has only come through two and a half years of therapy mm. and having the self awareness to now be able to go, Oh yeah, that works really, really well. And that's why I'm so, I believe in, and this is quite a selfish thing to say, but I'm also finally ready to do this with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a slow kind of process. You do need to learn what works for you. You've got to experiment with different, um, techniques or, or ways of doing it. You've got to put yourself out of your comfort zone as yeah. well. It's, it doesn't, it's not always easy. It doesn't have to be easy. A lot of good things in life aren't easy. Um, but it's important to sort of also feel like you're kind of knowing what you're doing. You've got some steps or some guidance along the way into to doing it properly. And that's where, you know, listening to apps and stuff can be great, but they just sort of don't help with your own internal experience. It's going on as you listen yeah, to that. You and need someone depth. to kind of talk to about that and explore like, oh, this happens and then my mind does this. And and, and, and that's where it can be helpful to have a, um, a teacher or a class or a group or whatever. Oh, so yeah. cool. So exciting. Yeah. It's making me want to do your group session, but this is a perfect, perfect prelude to that. So what will happen now, just so the listeners um, know for the format of this series, so what's going to happen now is Jad will do an introduction kind of like guided meditation Mm. and then for each episode it'll start like this where we have a little bit of a banter about the topic, speak to a little bit of personal experience. Um, I know especially I will because I'm all, you guys know, I'm all out there. Um, But also Jad's also worked with me through those experiences through our friendship of 15, probably 15 years. Sure. Let's yeah. Four. Let's not comment too much on the length 20? of time. Do you think it's twenty? <laughs> well, since we've known one another as adults, it's been ten. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's still very, very solid. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I mean, it's gone very quickly, which is also quite terrifying. Um, I'm going to end with a. I know, right? I'm going to end with a random fact I learned in my human behaviour class at acting school. Did you know, Chad? I'm never going to be able to outsmart Jad. He is a million times smarter than me. But 
this fact you might not know. Do you know the amount of neurons we have in our gut is roughly the same amount of neurons in a cat's brain? Wow, I did not know that. Explains a lot about cats, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm a dog person. So are you, are you not? Don't worry, sorry if people listening have got cats. I love cats too. My dad's a vet. I love all animals. But um, also, like, that's got to tell you, cats are smart, right? They're savvy. Mm, mm. Um, how intuitive our guts are. We yeah. talk about gut responses and that I've got a gut feeling about this or I've, you know, and that and we sometimes call it intuition or something, but, mm. like, our guts are smart to have that many neurons in our gut. Mm. Man. And think mm. about, like, if you get nervous, you've got to run to the bathroom. Yeah. Or if you're really worried, sometimes it can do the opposite. You yeah. know, like I think. Hold on. Yeah. And I think if our guts have got that many neurons in them, there's got to be. And that's when also when you were t- talking about tuning into the internal mm. is when the body will actually tell you so much about what's going on. Yeah. Huge amounts. Even Huge almost amounts. before the brain kind of has tapped into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway, yeah, I could. So cool. I could rant about this kind of stuff for ages. Um, for listeners, now I'm going to step away and Jad will take you through a guided meditation and the ne- and this will be the first episode. Every Friday we're going to release a new episode and they're all going to have, should we say what the topics are so people get excited? Yeah, I reckon. So we're going to do a topic on stress and anxiety, which I think we can probably all relate to at some stage of our lives. Body image, obviously having history of eating disorders, I'm really pumped about that one Um, because I think if I had these tools in my toolkit 10 years ago, when you saw me go through an eating disorder, Mm. um, I think I would have probably come out of it or acknowledged it probably a little bit faster than, than what I had. And that's fine. That's our own journey. And I don't regret anything. Um, You know what I mean? Like the failure is the lesson. Heartbreak and grief, I'm pumped to um, unpack that because, again, that's something that we all um, have experienced at some... Mm. And grief's not something we do well in in our kind of industrialised sort of lives. It's sort of, it's really pathologised, which I think is a big problem. It's made to seem seem like it's a sickness or a weakness to feel grief. Totally. And there's time limits placed on it even... To this day, it's just it's bizarre, but we'll we'll unpack that. It'll be exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to unpack that because I've recently worked on it with my therapist too, and he was like, "Why are you saying these things?" He's like, "Why can't you just love this situation that you're in?" And I was like, "Cause I'm being selfish," <laughs> <laughs> and I literally was crying, saying, "I'm being really selfish right now." Um, <laughs> the next topic is that feeling of being lost or feeling stuck, and then I've written versus drive and motivation because. This is a feeling that I am is most it comes up the most for me in my age and in my life and where I am now of like, mm. oh, I should be doing more, I should be going faster. Mm. Um mm. And I, I think that's the, why we're good friends, because you 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 sort of talk about, oh, imagine if I wasn't driven, if I was and I'm like, I get so often stuck in the stuckness. So it's you know, you you've been a motivating force in my life to kind of Get, shift that shift that kind of energy, I suppose. Yeah, but I had I fear mm. I fear the other stuff so much, like so much. Like the, literally, I'll walk into my therapist and and I'll be like all welling up, and he's like, "Tell me," and I'm like, "Stuck, really stuck." <laughs> and it's like, and then I and even last week I went in, I was like, "Oh, can we talk about discipline?" And he goes, "Right," and I go, "I'm not disciplined enough," and he's like, "Right." 
pretty sure this isn't a discipline problem, Lola. <laughs> Straight away, he's like, you're very, very disciplined and hardworking. And I was like, really? Like I didn't, I was so caught up in my rumination. Mm, so I'm really mm. pumped to kind of like unpack um, that one. And then I think happiness and gratitude, and you've just touched on earlier um, that our brain isn't actually like wired to kind yeah. of settle into that. Yeah, it's 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 not hardwired for, for happiness. There is aspects of our evolution that, that lead us to feel happiness, but it's not our default kind of wiring. So how, how can we work with that and understand that and also accept the fact that life comes with a lot of difficulty and that's not a bad thing. Mm. That, that's where we derive a lot of meaning and purpose and strength and resilience and courage and... Um, you know, that adds to our story. So how do we sort of embrace that wholly as part of our lives instead of getting so hung up on feeling good all the time? If you want to feel good all the time, get hooked on drugs, you know. Yeah. That's, you could take as many drugs as you like until you eventually die and you'll feel good all the time, but you might, like, you, you won't be happy because it lacks meaning and purpose and connection and you, all of those sorts of you things. You would love, I, I interviewed this wonderful spiritual teacher called Biet on here and she's an ex-heroin addict and she said, Cocaine, and she talked very openly about heroin, cocaine, and throughout her life she was kind of like a rock star really young in America. She's New York, got this fantastic accent. Mm. And she said drugs, she goes, I don't care what kind of drug it is, she goes drugs is a cheap man's version of having a spiritual experience. Mm. Mm. And I was like, whoa. And then I took it into like, because obviously my drug is often food. And, and I was like, far out, I, I use it to have this like cheap kind of high. Mm. And then I, it's so fascinating. And escape it? some kind of pain. Often yeah, in the process. totally. Yeah. But yeah, it was just really cool to look at that. And I've written here like ad- addictive behaviour is something mm. that will probably come into a few of the topics. So there you have it. That's what you've got to look forward to for the next um Five episodes after this, um, the intro and our little chat will probably be a, a pinch shorter than this one just because we want you to understand the topic and then be able to tap into the meditation. Uh, as you know, Jad is not only a phenomenal practitioner but also a dear friend of mine. So if you do want to learn about Jad, uh, the best way is I think his Instagram handle, which is Jad. Patrick naturopathy and do you respond to DMs and stuff like that? Yeah, like yeah, definitely. Yeah. So Instagram Jad Patrick naturopathy and annoyingly on Facebook Jad Patrick Natural Therapies. It's so because I accidentally created an account and then couldn't remember the password and now that name is taken. I'm not very good with technology. <laughs> he's not. He's, he's actually not. Um, and but, that's not a limiting belief. That is just fact. Yeah. <laughs> and on that note, um, well, I'm going to um, stop now and let Jad do his meditation with you. And this one is this is a taste of mindful meditation. Would you? Call yeah. It? This will be sort of an introduction into sort of how to meditate, like how to get into the right headspace. So we'll do a little muscle relaxation exercise and then a very very basic intro into how to meditate. Perfect. And if you want to make sure that you don't miss every Friday at about 6 a.m., we'll release an episode. So if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode and a meditation, just subscribe now. It's free. It's easy to do. You can literally do it on your phone. Um, And that also allows us to grow as well. So that would be awesome. Big love. Thanks. So this first exercise will be an introduction to meditation. So we'll be doing what's called a progressive muscle relaxation, which is a way to just prepare our bodies for meditation so that we're a little bit more settled, a little bit more present. And then following that will be an introduction to 
meditating on the breath. The thing with meditation is you can choose anything to focus on. In this one, we'll start with the breath because the breath is always with you. Um, but you could listen to sounds or you could focus on body sensations or the uh, arrival, arisal of thoughts in your mind, whatever sort of suits you. So begin by finding a seat, a comfortable sort of seat. And we want our back nice and straight, upright, but not uptight. So we want to be able to breathe fully. Having a nice straight spine sends a message through the nervous system to be alert, but we don't want to be tense about it. So if that feels particularly uncomfortable, then maybe choose a different position. But you want to be able to breathe fully. So nice long breaths help to calm the nervous system down. So finding your seat, adjusting your posture till you feel comfortable, noticing the pull of gravity through the seat, through your butt. And what we're going to do is correct our posture first. So just on your next in-breath, tensing your shoulders and lifting them up to your ears. So breathing in. And on the out-breath, gently rolling the shoulders back so you open up the chest area, <clears throat> almost like you're going to give someone a big hug. Opening the chest area sort of sends a message of safety through the nervous system so we feel calm and content and, and safe. Then on the next breath in, we're going to tense the abdominal muscles. So breathing in, holding some tension in the abdominal muscles, and then on the out breath, really relaxing the abdominal muscles, really letting go, softening that area and just breathing naturally for a few breaths. And then on the next in-breath, at the top of the in-breath, we're going to scrunch up our face muscles. So breathing in, scrunching the face muscles, feeling that tension and discomfort, and then on the out-breath, letting go, letting go of any tension in the face, relaxing the jaw, relaxing the muscles around the eyes. Our face does a lot of work communicating our emotions throughout the whole day. Now's an opportunity to just let it rest. The next part of this exercise will involve tensing different muscle groups in the body and noticing the tension, seeing if you can make room for that tension and discomfort, and then letting go and relaxing on the out-breath. So we're going to start with our toes. Bring your attention down to the toes, noticing whatever you notice in the toe region. The warmth of your shoes or textures of your socks, whatever you can feel in that area. And then as you breathe in next, tensing the toes. So breathing in and scrunching the toes, feeling that tension there, making room for that discomfort. And then on the out-breath, releasing the toes, letting go. Letting go of any tension in the toes. And then on the next in-breath, we're going to tense the muscles in the feet and ankles and maybe the calves. So breathing in, squeezing the feet, squeezing the calves, noticing the tension, breathing in. Hold that tension, notice the tension that resides there. And then on the out-breath, lengthening the out-breath as you let go, as you let your feet melt into the floor. 
breathing naturally for a moment, just savoring any nice feelings of letting go or relaxation, and also making room for any residual tension that might be there, seeing if you can hold that in your awareness too without being frazzled by it or worried by it. Moving up further in the legs now on the in-breath, I want you to tense your thigh muscles, breathing in, feeling the tension in the thighs and the back of the legs, and on the out-breath, letting go, letting the weight of gravity naturally pull your legs down into the chair and into the ground. And just scanning your legs and feet as a whole, noticing any residual tension, seeing if on each out-breath you can let go a little bit further. And then on your next in-breath, whenever it feels right for you, breathing in, we're going to tense the abdominal muscles and squeeze the butt cheeks. So breathing in, squeezing the butt cheeks, tensing the abdominal muscles, noticing the tension, making some room for that discomfort. And then on the out-breath, letting go, letting the glutes relax, letting the abdominal muscles relax. A lot of us unconsciously squeeze our abs during the day or suck our tummies in, giving yourself a moment to just let all that go, letting it soften, letting it relax, savouring any good feelings that arise and making room for any difficult feelings, knowing that you can have both in your awareness at any one time. Breathing in again, we're going to tense the shoulders, raising the shoulders up on the in-breath, squeezing the pec muscles, tensing the arms, that whole sort of upper region, noticing the tension again, feeling it. And on the out-breath, letting go, letting it all soften, maybe rolling your shoulders around a bit if that feels good for you. And feeling that pull of gravity, that sinking, that relaxing feeling as the muscles start dropping that effort, that unnecessary work. And then when you're ready, on the next in-breath, we're going to squeeze the muscles in our hands, so making little fists, breathing in. Squeezing the hands, noticing the tension in the hands, and then on the out-breath, just letting the fingers uncurl, letting the muscles in the hands relax, maybe noticing if there's any tension or discomfort or achiness in the joints, seeing if you can make room for that too, and again, savouring any pleasant feeling of letting go. Breathing in again, and we're going to tense the muscles in the face again, and the neck and the shoulders, anything in the upper body. Breathing in, scrunching the eyebrows, clenching the jaw, feeling that tension. And then as you breathe out, just letting all that tension go. Feeling 
feeling the tension and letting go. Savoring any pleasant feelings that arise. So that concludes the first part of the exercise where we prepare our bodies and minds for meditation by softening our muscles. Now we're going to harness our power of attention by drawing our awareness to our breathing. So just noticing a spot in the body where you feel your own breath most easily. It might be the tip of the nose. It might be the rise and fall of your chest. It might be the rise and fall of your belly. Picking a spot where you notice it most distinctly. Some people might even want to open their eyes and, and have a look at their belly rising and falling if that's easier. If you have trouble staying with present with internal sensations, that's okay too. And then just holding your attention there just for one breath. Just noticing the rise and fall of the breath in your body, each distinct physical sensation that occurs as the breath comes in and the breath goes out, just one breath. And if you're like me and many other people who are new to meditation, you might notice already that your mind has wandered many times. It's been pulled in all sorts of different directions. If you notice that happening, that's awesome. That's mindfulness. Noticing that your mind's been pulled away and then gently returning the focus back to your breathing. Taking one breath more. In and out. Staying with the physical sensation of breathing, anchoring your attention there, holding your attention there, gently. There's no need to force it. Make room for other feelings that come up, make room for thoughts that appear and gently steer your awareness back to the breath. Every time we, our mind wanders and we return our focus, it's like a little bicep curl for our attention muscle or our meditation muscle. That's actually where the strengthening occurs. The more we repeat the process of bringing our attention back to the breath, the stronger our attention gets. And that's part of the process of meditation is strengthening our attention. But we do so gently and with kindness, knowing that our mind is designed to often wander. And that's okay. So just taking a few easy breaths on your own now. Maybe you might like to pause this recording and spend a bit of time just staying with the breath. But otherwise that concludes our introduction to how to meditate. And now it's up to you to practice on your own. In the next few episodes, we'll have other meditations available for you to try that build on this initial uh, practice. And I'd love to hear how you go with those. Thanks very much for listening.